Good morning, everyone. Good morning. It's good to be with all of you this morning as we gather for worship uh, as our regular weekly rhythm uh, as All Saints Church here at Sunnyview Manor. Uh, I was gone last week because I was off-site doing training, uh, which was very, very good, a very fruitful training, but I'm glad to be back with all of you uh, today. It's always a joy to be with you, even though it's much hotter here than where I was. So, I was in Portland, Oregon, where it was cloudy and rainy for half the time, and then I came back and it started to be 90s and 100s. So, we're trying to keep cool, uh, but it's good to be with you all today. We're going to begin our service of worship with our first hymn. Spirit of God, descend upon my heart. There is fullness of joy. Sovereign God, 
ruler of all hearts, you call us to obey you, and you favor us with true freedom. Keep us faithful to the ways of your Son, that leaving behind all that hinders us, we may steadfastly follow your paths, through Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. Amen. And now for our first scripture reading. The first uh, reading today comes from the book of Kings. Is this on? Can you hear me? Okay. Um, Kings is one of the uh, history books. It tells the history of kings and covering about 400 years. Now, during this time, there were many good kings. There were some not-so-good kings. And the, the Israelis were divided into two kingdoms, actually, at times. So here we have... Elisha, who has been doing God's work by going to kings and telling them there's going to be a drought. He does other things and does a competition with the prophets of Baal. And now they're out to kill him. And he's tired and he asks God if he can take him away. And what we have here is God has selected Eliza as his replacement. So we'll talk today about that replacement. 1 Kings 19, 15-16, 19-21. Then the Lord said to him, Go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. When you arrive, you shall anoint Hazel as king of Aram. Also you shall anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, as king over Israel. And you shall anoint Elisa, son of Sephet of Abel-Mehorah, as your prophet in your place. So he set out from there and found Elisha, son of Sephat, who was plowing. There were twelve yoke of oxen ahead of him, and he was with the twelfth. Elisha passed by him and threw his mantle over him. He left the oxen, ran after Elisha, and said, Let me kiss my father and my mother, and then I will follow you. Then Elisha said to him, Go back again, for what have I done to you? He returned from following him, took the yoke of oxen, and slaughtered them. Using the equipment from the oxen, he boiled their flesh and gave it to the people, and they ate. Then he set out and followed Elisha and became his servant. This is the word of the Lord. Our psalm reading from the lectionary for today comes from Psalm 16. Protect me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good from you. As for the holy ones in the land, they are the noble, in whom is all my delight. Those who do the of God multiply their sorrows. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The 
I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. I thank you, Lord, for all you have me, Therefore, my heart is glad and my soul rejoices. My body also rests secure. You show me the path of life. In your And now we continue with our next hymn, O God, our help in ages past. sorcery, 
enmity, strife, jealousy, anger, quarrels, dissension, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these. I am warning you, as I warned you before, those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. By contrast, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against such things, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also be guided by the Spirit. The word of our Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. The Holy Gospel according to Luke, the ninth chapter. When the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem, and he sent messengers ahead of him. On their way they entered a village of the Samaritans to make ready for him, but they did not receive him, because his face was set towards Jerusalem. When his disciples, James and John, saw it, they said, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them? But he turned and rebuked them. Then they went on to another village. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. To another he said, Follow me. But he said, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. But Jesus said to him, Let the dead bury their own dead, but as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those in my home. Jesus said to him, No one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. The Gospel of our Lord. I want to begin my message this morning by asking you a question, and I want you to take a moment and sit with it, okay? You don't have to raise your hand or say an answer out loud. Just reflect on this question with me. The question is, what is freedom? What is freedom? Some people might suggest that freedom is having unlimited choices, in which case none of us is truly free because there are always limitations on the number of choices we have in any given situation. Even if you were to suppose that those who have the most resources, say the richest people on earth, arguably they have more choices than anyone else, still they have limitations on them as people who make choices. Jeff Bezos, the CEO of Amazon, Elon Musk, the CEO of Tesla, they can't teleport to Pluto and back, even if they wanted to, right? Because teleportation is still science fiction, therefore they're not truly free under the definition of having unlimited choices, right? Others might suggest that freedom is being able to do whatever 
an individual wants at any given time, regardless of the outcome. Which is also quite a silly definition of freedom, when you think about it. For example, I do not have the freedom to walk up to someone else and just bop them on the head with a blunt object. Right? Of course not. That action has a name, and it's called assault, and it is a crime. So if freedom is not unlimited choices, and freedom is not unrestrained action, then what is freedom? Well, before I get to a passage of scripture which addresses freedom, I have to say one more thing about these two previous ideas. While we may acknowledge that the logic of these two examples is flawed, we also have to acknowledge that these are often our standard operating definitions of what we think freedom is in daily life. A lot of people act like these are the true definition of freedom. But Paul says something very different in Galatians 5, which is part of our lectionary reading we had just a few moments ago. In Galatians 5.1, Paul, writing to the church in the province of Galatia, says, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Now, because of the fact that we live in the United States of America and our cultural history is filled with debates about freedoms, we may be tempted to lift this text right up out of the Bible and say, Ha! Paul knows what's up and I can do whatever I want. But, and this is a very big but, my friends, we need to take great care not to impose on the text of Scripture what we want it to say. That is a great danger that we have many, many examples to learn from through church history. Paul goes on in the verses that follow to talk about circumcision. He isn't talking about the freedom of speech or the freedom to bear arms, the freedom of the press, the freedom to protest. The U.S. Constitution is 1,700 years away from being written. So when this was first written, we have... We haven't even gotten to George Washington's 18th great-grandparents yet. Paul's talking about being free from a set of spiritual practices that are no longer necessary because they get in the way of being connected to Jesus. For centuries and centuries, the Jews believed they were set apart by numerous ritual practices and beliefs. Paul was born into this tradition. He was a Pharisee, descended from the tribe of Benjamin. And Paul has experienced a tremendously radical shift in his own spiritual journey. He believed at one point in his life that followers of Jesus were threatening his tradition, and eventually, Jesus knocked him off his high horse, literally, on the road to Damascus. And now, he's a leader within the movement of Jesus' followers, writing a letter to churches in the region of Galatia about what freedom looks like in the framework of Jesus. Paul's teaching us that Christ has set us free from rituals, practices, and beliefs that hinder us from being who we were meant to be. Freedom in Christ is about our true identity. Now, Paul has more to say about this subject in verse 13. He says, For you were called to freedom, brothers and sisters, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for self-indulgence, but through love become slaves to one another. Now, maybe you are like me, and you heard this verse, and it made you go, Huh? 
For freedom, Christ has set us free. Do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. You were called to freedom, but through love become slaves to one another. After reading this, I found myself scratching my head a bit. Just so you're aware, pastors and preachers don't just open the Bible and everything magically makes sense to us. Sometimes we read the Bible and we're just as confused as everyone else. In this case, I found myself saying, well, which is it, Paul? Is it freedom or slavery? You just said Christ set us free. We're no longer to submit to a yoke of slavery, and now we're to become slaves to one another? So clear and so helpful, right? <laughs> well, one of my rules of thumb for engaging scriptures that are confusing or less straightforward is to be patient and to lean into the nuance and the themes being presented. In this case, Paul clearly is talking about not returning to older Jewish practices that separated Jews from Gentiles. Rather, he's inviting people to lean into Jesus for wisdom about what makes us truly free. The remaining verses of Galatians 5, that is verses 16 through 26, take us further into what I think Paul means when he wants us to lean into freedom. Paul begins verse 16 with the phrase, Live by the Spirit. That's repeated in verse 25. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. The Holy Spirit is the helper sent by Jesus after Jesus returned to heaven. To live in the Spirit is to move with the Spirit. That means listening to and being aware of the Holy Spirit. Now, some of you might be thinking, that sounds great, Sam, but how do I do that? How do I move with, listen to, hear the Spirit? Well, we have to train ourselves to pay attention to the Holy Spirit. That takes intentionality and investment. And there are a great number of spiritual rhythms and practices which exist as tools for you and I to hone our spiritual hearing, to help us pay attention to the Spirit and move with the Spirit. For example, and this is a very short list, prayer, scripture study, fasting, worship, silence and solitude, and so many, many more. The goal of these practices is to be intentional, to invest our time and energy in paying attention to the Holy Spirit. Now the next questions to address are, well, what if I try those practices and nothing happens? It's a really good question. And or, what if I try those practices and I do hear something? How do I know that what I'm hearing is God and not something else? These are really, really important questions. So to address the first question, when we enter into a rhythm like prayer or fasting or whichever spiritual rhythm we do, if we don't think we hear God speak, it's never a waste of time. Think about it this way. If Steph Curry, the star MVP point guard for the Golden Warriors, if he decided back in high school that after taking 100 three-point shots and missing most of them, that taking three-point shots would be a waste of time, NBA history would be very different, wouldn't it? If after the first 100 three-pointers he gave up, we wouldn't have seen him win the NBA Finals MVP. No athlete goes to the gym and does one workout 
sees a few or no results and says, well, that was a waste of time. <laughs> Better give up now. No. The athletes who see results invest in rhythms and practices of strengthening and training to experience change over time. The exact same thing is true of spiritual rhythms. When we enter into prayer, when we study scripture, when we practice silence, when we gather for worship, we may not hear God speak right away or every time, but we are training our hearts to hear God's voice. That's what each of these practices does. We're preparing to hear when God decides it's time for us to hear something. Now the other question was, what if I try a spiritual practice and I do hear something? How do I know it's God and not just my inner voice or a voice from my culture or a voice from my past or a poorly digested piece of pizza from last night? Well, here are three simple discernment tools for testing what you hear. First, when you enter into a spiritual rhythm and you think you hear God saying something to you, does it sound like Jesus? The Jesus presented in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Does it sound like Jesus? If it doesn't, that's a good indicator it's probably not Jesus. Number two, does the voice I'm hearing lead me closer to love or further from love? 1 John 4 says God is love. This is God's nature and character. So we can test what we hear against love. We can see if actually this is, this is actually leaning me towards hate or violence or bitterness or cynicism. And if it is, notice that. And you'll be able to discern Third suggestion, does the voice I'm hearing use shame or fear, or does it use grace and invitation? Just so that you're clear, we're all clear, God doesn't use shame. Shame came as a result of sin. God invites us by speaking words of grace, by embracing and by giving us invitations. So if what you're hearing is making you feel shame, notice that, name that and know that that's not God. Now back to the main subject that Paul began with, freedom. As we live in the Spirit and listen for God's voice, we will experience new terrain of freedom. God will set us free in small and big ways along the path. God is in the business of setting people free from all the things that keep us from being the beautiful, true human beings God made us to be. So how do we know that we're actually growing? Can we see the effects of freedom? How do we know we're getting there or moving in the right direction? Well, Paul gives us guidance on this. He says we will see greater fruit. In verses 22 to 23, Paul says the fruit of the Spirit are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Maybe you've met people who've exhibited some of these amazing and beautiful fruits. Maybe you've had people point out to you the presence of patience or joy or gentleness in your life, noticing fruit in you. When these fruits are flowing out of a person, it's safe to say that they're experiencing the very true freedom that Paul's talking about. 
This is the freedom Jesus walked around in all the time. Everywhere Jesus walked, he walked in this freedom. People gravitated toward Jesus in droves. They gathered around him in crowds of thousands because he was a walking tree covered in this type of fruit. Now I hope and pray that as you and I practice these different spiritual rhythms, enter into them, seek to practice hearing God's voice, that we will over time in that training ground experience greater levels of freedom then God can plant seeds in that soil. And over time, we'll find great fruit. Amen? Amen. Let's continue our service of worship this morning by singing the hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. Of the body 
and the life everlasting. to the time of the prayers of the congregation, I recognize that when we gather for this regular rhythm of our life and our spiritual journey, uh, that sometimes when we come, we come carrying heavy burdens. Uh, sometimes we gather for worship and we're filled with joy and excitement and maybe most of the things going on in life are going really well. And other times we gather and there's stresses and strains and struggles and challenges that really weigh heavy on us. So this morning, I want to invite you, if you come to our service of worship and something weighs heavy on your own heart, something you're going through yourself that you'd like prayer for, or maybe you're really concerned about a situation that's outside your own life, but it's a family member, a friend, or, or some major issue going on in the world, whatever that may be, I want to invite you at this time to indicate that prayer request by raising your hand. Let me pray for these. Let us pray. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we thank you that every time we gather, you are with us. That you go with us every step of our journey. We are never truly alone, never truly isolated, because you are always near. And in every case in which we pray, you always hear. You hear us. We know that our prayers are heard. And so, Lord, we come before you on behalf of our brothers and sisters, all of us who've raised hands here in this time and in this space. We lay these prayer requests at your feet for all the situations represented by these hands, challenges regarding health, Lord, desires and prayers for reconciliation where there's conflict, uh, for the big issues of our world, for the health concerns, for whatever these needs represent, Lord, we, we pray that you would meet us in our places of need. Meet us there. Help us to trust you, to trust your Holy Spirit's guidance, to empower us by your Holy Spirit to be agents of love and hope and healing. We thank you, Lord, that for all these things, we know we can trust you. And so we lay them at your feet, and we ask, Lord, that you would meet our needs in your time and in your will. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. And now I invite you to join me in praying the Lord's Prayer together. Let us pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. 
Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. And now for our closing hymn, Lord, keep us steadfast in your word.